If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, we'll be reading together verses 15 through 19 today. Today we come to what undoubtedly is one of the most difficult portions of Scripture found in the book of Galatians. But I want to share with you this morning one of the great truths that is in the Word of God found in these verses. That is, we are saved by grace, and because of that, we are dead to the law. Saved by grace, therefore dead to the law. I begin reading with verse 15. Paul says, For we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For, though, or th for through the law died to the law, for I through the law died to the law, that I might live to God. Verses 10 through 21 really are a continuation of a thought, uh, but we'll, I've waited, going to wait until next week to talk about verses 20 and 21. Paul shares with us in these verses some very much-needed truths for our lives. Some things that on the surface seem to be deep and difficult to grasp with the human mind, but when you break it down, it is the simple truth of what we believe and what we know that the Scripture teaches. He says that salvation is real. Are there any doubters here this morning? Salvation is real. That when you come to faith in Christ, you are forgiven of sin, you have everlasting life, and you are birthed into the family of God. You have become a part of the family of God. He uses the word to talk about salvation that we're familiar with. He uses the word justified. And we usually break that down by saying it means just if I'd never sinned, just if I'd never sinned, I'm in Christ. He uses it several times in verse 16 in particular, but what does it mean to be justified? What does it mean to us to know that we have been justified? Well, it means to be saved is what it really means. Removed from the guilt of our sin is that that he's taken away. Removed it from us and given us life in Christ. Given us a part in the family of God. Birthed us into the family of God. We're joint heirs with Christ Jesus. We are given eternal life that begins now and all through this life. And for eternity we live with him. 
And that's because we are justified. But what does it mean to be justified? As I said, it means to be saved. A justified person is a saved person. A justified person is one who has been forgiven and given everlasting life and that relationship with the Father. And the converse of that is also true. A saved person is a justified person. Well, what does it mean to be justified, to be saved? It means, first of all, to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. You see, as we were born into this world, we were born into unrighteousness. But when we came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and were convicted of our sinful nature, convicted of our need for forgiveness, and convinced and convicted by the Holy Spirit that he is indeed the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried and that he raised again, was raised again, we were saved and we became justified. To be declared righteous is what it means. You see, as we're born into this world, we're born into unrighteousness. There is a flaw in us from the very start. David said it like this in Psalms. In sin did my mother conceive me. He was talking about the fact that at the very point of conception, in the womb of his mother, he inherited the sin nature. He was not saying that the reproduction in the human race is of sin. He is saying that he inherited that at his time of conception. We're born already in unrighteousness. And the older we get, the more unrighteous we become. A child, a little bitty baby, conceived in unrighteousness, born into unrighteousness, but they're, they're not old enough to commit some of the hideous things that you and I have done and to think some of the things that we've thought and to say some of the awful things that we've said. But the older the person gets, they enter more into that time of unrighteousness. There's a flaw in us, though, from the very start, as David said. We're born already in unrighteousness and the older we get the more unrighteous we become because the more we sin we choose to do wrong things there's not a one among us that say no no i've always made the right choice i always choose to do the right thing it is our nature conceived in unrighteousness born in unrighteousness we live in unrighteousness as the nature of the human flesh. Those that are unrighteous are declared to be righteous when they are justified. Justified means to be declared by God to be righteous. As I said, just if I'd never sinned. Does that mean I never did? No, it doesn't. It means that I am justified in Christ. I'm given forgiveness 
I'm giving, given a part of being in the family of God to be a joint heir with Christ Jesus. I'm given that at the point of being forgiven in salvation. The second thing that justification means is to be freed from the penalty of being unrighteous. To be freed from the penalty of being unrighteous. The Bible says that the unrighteous shall surely die and that they will find themselves in, e in eternity in a place called hell. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So the penalty of being a sinner is death. The penalty of being unrighteousness and in unrighteousness is death and to spend an eternity in hell. But a person who has been justified is the one that has been declared to be righteous and he has been freed, <coughs> excuse me, from the penalty of sin. Thirdly, the word justified also means to be made acceptable in the presence of God. It means to be declared righteous. It means to have been freed from the penalty of unrighteousness. And it means to be made acceptable in the presence of God. When you die as a Christian, you'll be in the presence of God for eternity, justified by what Christ has done for us. And that is the doctrine of justification. You see, God hates sin. He hates all sin. He despises it. Every sin is offensive to our God. Sin cannot be welcomed in his sight and certainly cannot be welcomed in his presence in heaven. All sin is condemned and banished from him forevermore from his presence. But to be justified means that we have been made acceptable in his presence. You know, I'm thankful today I can give a testimony. I am saved. I'm justified. I am going to heaven. Whenever I leave this world, I'll be in the presence of God, not because I was a preacher of the gospel, not because I was good enough to get there, for certainly I am not, not because of anything I've done, of good works I've done, not because I have crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's of the law, which I have not. I will be in heaven with Jesus, with the Father, because I have been justified through his shed blood. I've been justified to be there. Salvation is real. And when the Bible talks about salvation and being saved, it is not talking about something that doesn't exist. There is, there is a difference in a lost person and a saved person. There is, there is a difference in someone who has never come, come to faith in Christ and someone who has come to faith in Christ. It is as different as day and night, as heaven and hell. We are forgiven, made righteous, and made justified in his presence. So let me ask you, 
How in the world can those of us who are unrighteous and do not deserve death and hell and who are not welcome and who do deserve, I should say, death and hell and are not welcome in the presence of God because of his sinfulness, how is it that we can be declared righteous and be made acceptable in the presence of God and can be become one of his children. How is that possible? It is on the basis of God's wonderful, amazing, matchless grace. It is of grace. And God's grace is real this morning. God's grace in your life is real. God's grace in my life is real justification is real salvation is real when the bible talks about being saved it's not talking about something that doesn't exist somebody's just imagination is talking about reality and as a saved person all of these things are true in your life that you are justified you have a home in heaven you have a relationship with the father you are forgiven now, the second thing we want to talk about for just a minute this morning is that he's mentioned in these verses is the false avenue of salvation. He mentions that, a way that is wrong concerning salvation. It is, and it's found in a little phrase called work of the law or works of the law. Look at verse 16. He says, knowing that a man is not justified, is not declared to be righteous, is not freed from the penalty of sin, is not made acceptable in the presence of God by the works of the law. A man is not saved, he is not justified by the works of the law, and he repeats it again. Listen to what he says, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Boy, that just throws working out your own salvation. That, that, that working to get your salvation, that just throws that under the bus, doesn't it? People, you ask them, are you going to heaven? Well, I hope so. I'm working for it. Well, you can't work for it. Because all of the works of flesh is unrighteousness. It is only by the finished work of Jesus and his righteousness that it is imputed unto us salvation, forgiveness, and the righteousness of Jesus over our lives. What are the works of the law? They're deeds. They're deeds of obedience to Mosaic law the works of the law. We're not saved by works, I remind you. We're not saved by doing of deeds. We're not saved by trying to keep the law. We're not saved by being kind to our neighbor. We're not saved because we don't kick the dog. Well, that sent most of us to hell anyway. We're not saved because we're good parents. We're not saved by anything we do, the Bible is very clear. It is not of works. There are those who believe 
We're saved by grace, and there are those who believe that they're saved by works. Now, why? Why, in spite of all that the Bible teaches, are there those who have the concept of the work salvation and it's persisted for all of these many years? There are two reasons. Number one, it is very appealing to the flesh. If you can talk about yourself good enough, if you can lift yourself up high enough in your own self-esteem and what you're worth and the goodness that you do and the kind deeds that you do, then you, you, can, you can just convince yourself. God just had to save us because we were being so good. <laughs> Sweet people. We like to think we had something to do with it. But I want to tell you, folks, we didn't have anything to do with our salvation. We're, were it not for the sovereign grace of God, every one of us would go to hell. If it were not for God's forgiveness, if it were not for his righteousness and the price that Jesus paid, every one of us go, would go to hell. I tell you, when you read the book of Revelation, you'll find anyone there saying, you won't find anyone saying, worthy am I, worthy is me. But all will say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and power. It's he who is worthy, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. It's appealing to the flesh but it's not right. The secondly, second reason people think salvation by works has persisted in, for so long in their hearts and minds is just because it sounds right. Matter of fact, if you hear very many people talk and giving a public speech and it's on goodness or whatever, it just sounds right. It, listen to me. It sounds right. I, I mean, there have been groups preaching that for years. And the church members behave just as sorry as anybody else's church members. And they're just as mean as Baptists. That's pretty mean, isn't it? They're, they're just as mean as anybody else. But they have said that, that it's works. We're not saved by being good. We're not saved because we can keep the law. It is foreign to the word of God. We're saved by grace through faith. Well, let me share a third thing with you. What is the basis of salvation? What Paul is teaching here, that it's not a doctrine. It is not a phrase. It is a person. The basis of salvation is a person. Look at what he says in verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Three times he says it. The basis of salvation is Jesus Christ. The basis of forgiveness is Jesus Christ. 
The basis of eternal life is Jesus Christ. The basis of going to heaven is found in Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Do you know why people need to keep hearing about the cross? Because there's no other way to be saved than through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. They need to keep hearing about the precious blood because without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness. There is no salvation without that. They need to hear that Christ died as their substitute and paid their sin debt. Christ died for us. That's the basis of our salvation. I'm not saved because I'm a Baptist. <laughs> That's almost laughable, isn't it? I'm not saved because I joined the right church or the right denomination, and I do believe I'm in the right denomination. I do believe what Baptists believe. Acts 4.12 says this, Neither is there any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You can't be saved by any other name. There is only salvation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in your own name, in your good deeds. Not in the name of a denomination. and Not in the name of anybody else. And certainly not the name of the law. The means of real salvation is found in the word faith, F-A-I-T-H, for all I trust him, for all I take him. It is all found in faith. Verse 16 again says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. The answer is faith. Well, what is faith? The word faith means to trust or to make a commitment unto. That's what faith is. Sometimes people say, well, I don't have very much faith. You don't need much. The Bible says if you have the, the faith of a mustard seed. Now, I, I don't, I've never seen a mustard seed. But I'm told that it's so tiny you can hardly tell you have it in the palm of your hand. It doesn't take much, just the, the, the tiniest thing, bit of faith. It, it's all about trusting Jesus. Jesus said, if you have the faith of the grain of a mustard seed, that's what he said, you can say to this mountain, move, and the mountain will move. That's what he said. I'm not making it up this morning. That's what Jesus said. It's not the amount of your faith that's important. It is the object of your faith that is important. Who is your faith in? Is it in your deeds, your life, your goodness? Is it in a system? Is it in a denomination? Is it by being a member of a local church? Or is your faith in the person of the one who can give you everlasting life? 
It is when you take what faith you have and put it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that your faith becomes a means of salvation whereby God's grace comes into your life. That's what faith is. That's what the means of salvation is. That is faith. We've seen that salvation is real. We've seen there's a false means. We've seen the real basis of salvation is Christ. And the means of salvation is faith. Trusting in him. Trusting Jesus. Making a commitment of your life to Jesus. Have you ever done that? Have you ever trusted him personally? Or have you joined a church? Have you ever come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him, making a commitment of your life to the Lord Jesus? Did you ever do it? You know, sometimes people say, well, I'm not sure if I did or didn't. Well, that's silly, isn't it? You know, you either did it or you didn't do it. I mean, you either trusted him or you don't trust him. You either committed your life to him or you didn't commit your life to him. Do you know Jesus? Have you come to faith in him? I'll tell you, on July the 20th of 1974, I stood at the front of Heritage Baptist Church right here in Montgomery, Alabama, and waited for my beautiful bride-to-be and my wife-to-be to come down that aisle with her dad. I can tell you right now what she wore. I can tell you what she looked like. I can tell you what she smelled like. I can tell you everything about that ceremony because I was there. I was there. I said I do. She said I do. And I mean before I ever kissed her that day, or anything the preacher said otherwise of I now pronounce you husband and wife. She didn't even have her flowers back yet. I mean, zap immediately. He says, I pronounce you husband and wife. I I think he did it the old-fashioned way. He says man and wife. And he pronounced us married, and it was done. Now, I've never doubted that for a minute. No, I was there when it happened. I remember it. I was standing there at the altar of Heritage Baptist Church, and Andrew Smith said, I pronounce you husband and wife, and we became married. I remember what she had on. I remember what she looked like. I remembered when it happened. You can't make me doubt that I'm married to Melanie, Carla, Adams, and Evans. It's real. You can never make me doubt that I've trusted Jesus. I was there when it happened. There weren't any bells ringing. There wasn't any thunder rolling. There wasn't any lightning flashing. There wasn't any angel choir singing that I heard. But I want to tell you, 
I know that that morning at the Big Creek Baptist Church in Irwin County, Georgia, that Rick Evans, 12 years old, walked to the front of the church, took the pastor, Reuben Eldridge, by the hand, and told him I wanted to pray to receive Christ. I wanted to be saved. And he led me to faith in Christ that Sunday morning. Jesus forgave me of the sins of a 12-year-old boy, but with the added promise that he would forgive me of the sins of being a 60-year-old man or 73-year-old man. I've known him all these years. I have no doubt about my salvation. Have I failed at keeping the law? Absolutely. Every day of my life. Have I failed in living up to what he wanted me to be in every moment of my life? Absolutely, I can tell you that has not been the case. Their failures, their sins, their mistakes, their things that have been said, their things that have been done, there have been attitudes that have been a part of my thoughts and my heart through all of these years. There have been times when I've failed to live up to the righteousness of the one who's living in me. But I want you to know, on that Sunday morning in July, I gave my heart to Jesus. And he gave himself to me. And the promise that he gave me that I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, has been true all the years of my life. I didn't even know Greek from Hebrew. I didn't even know all the books of the Bible at that age. I didn't know how many books there were in the Bible. <laughs> but I knew I was lost. I knew that visiting preacher had done a good job of sharing the gospel, and the Holy Spirit of God convicted me that I was in need of a sinner and need to be saved. And when a lost sinner and a saving Savior get together, something wonderful happens. Something wonderful happens. There are a lot of gospel songs about that day. I will never forget how he saved me. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Even the old hymn, I'm saved, saved, saved. I'm saved. Not because Rick Evans has held on to God's unchanging hand, but because God's unchanging hand has held on to Rick Evans. He promised, nobody can pluck you out of my Father's hand. He promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm with you always. And though, as I said, my life has not been perfect, none of us can give that testimony that our life is perfect. But his grace has been sufficient. And I'm telling you, I'm not counting on what I've done. Thank God. I'm not counting on what I've done. 
what I've felt, what I've thought, how I've treated others, how I've ministered, or how I've not ministered. I count on this morning the saving power of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to save me and to keep me safe. I trusted him the best I knew how as a 12-year-old boy. I made a commitment of my life to him. Have it been perfect? And have it always done what I said I would do? But he has always done what he promises he will do. I'm the sinner. He's the Savior, folks. He'll forgive. One last thing. He speaks of the blessing of real salvation. He says, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Some are saying, Well, now if you believe you're saved by grace and works have nothing to do with it, keeping the law has nothing to do with it, then what that means is that you can just be saved and live however you want to after that point. Why, you Baptists, you think a man can be saved and he can live like the devil the rest of his life and he's still saved. There never has been a saved Baptist in this world that believed that. We believe that we are saved by Jesus and that Jesus changes the person he saves. He does the saving. He does the changing. In Galatians 2.17, But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not, Paul says. If you believe that you're saved by grace and that you sin, that means Jesus is a sinner? That's plain stupid. That's wrong. Paul says, God forbid at the end of that statement. That's ridiculous. Look at verse 18. For if I build again those things which I destroyed... I make myself a transgressor. Jesus, Jesus doesn't have anything to do with me making myself a sinner. Every time I've ever sinned, I've hurt him. Every time I've ever thought a deed, I, I, I thought I shouldn't have thought and done a deed I've ever done. Every time I've sinned, I've done it myself. A saved person does just, just, just doesn't go out and live like the devil. Why? Because Jesus changed your life. We sing the old hymn, What a Wonderful Change in My Life Has Been Wrought Since Jesus Came Into My Heart. If we sing it, we ought to live, live it. Jesus changed me. Verse 19 for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. That means the law is dead. No, it doesn't. 
The law is not dead. The law is not even sick. The law is perfectly healthy. The law lives. What does the law do? The law condemns. The law brings the curse. The law consigns a man to hell. The law is royal. The law is moral. But it has never given to save anybody. It was given to show us our need for a Savior. The law is alive and still condemns, and it still demands death and hell. The law is not dead. I'm the one dead to the law. Hallelujah. Therefore, though the law, through the law, I am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. He is the one who was dead and is alive forevermore. Let me illustrate it, and I'm going to finish. Here's a man. He's been accused of a crime. He goes before the judge. The court's in session. The trial is held. He's found guilty. He's convicted of the crime. He's supposed to come back in two days to be sentenced. Within those two days, the man falls over dead with a heart attack. So what does that judge do? Does he come back the next day and say, well, this fellow's dead, but I sentenced him to 30 years in prison. So y'all take him over there and let him rot in the jailhouse. No. Well, that means the law is of no effect. No, it doesn't. Oh, yes, it was effect. The law did exactly what it was supposed to do. What happened? That man cheated the law. He died. Well, that is what the Christian life is. Oh, no, 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 no. I want to tell you another story. You see, when we die without being saved, but we don't cheat the law, we still go to hell. You see, that's what the law does. It curses. It condemns. It demands death. And so if you don't come to Jesus, you may think you've escaped the penalty of the law, but you don't. You really spend an eternity in hell for one day the son of God came though he was no lawbreaker he took upon himself the penalty for all lawbreakers he who knew no sin became sin for us that's taken upon himself the full penalty of the law they tried him they condemned him by their law. They crucified him. The law did everything to Jesus it could do. Three days later, he got up, and he's been alive ever since. When I was a 12-year-old boy and gave my heart to Jesus, he said, if you'll come this morning and give your life to Jesus, if you'll trust him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, he'll come into your life, and he will save you. And as I said a while ago, I went forward that Sunday. I gave my heart to Jesus. I'm in him, and because I'm in him, I'm dead to the law. The law cannot have one thing to do to me because I'm in Jesus. 
and everything the law would ever have done to me it's already been done to him and I'm in him and it's already been satisfied and I'm in him and it has no power over me that's the blessing of salvation I'm free to live in the power of Jesus Christ hallelujah what a savior Let's pray. Father, thank you that you didn't just give us this difficult passage for us to wonder what you're saying to us. But through your word, it is exposed what you were saying through us through the pen of the Apostle Paul. Thank you, God, that the law is a schoolmaster. It brings us to understand sin. It brings us to understand that we're unrighteous, that there's not one of us that is perfect. Not one of us can walk in our own self-righteousness and inherit the kingdom of God. The law pronounces us sinners, pronounces us dead in trespasses and sin, and shows us that there is no other way than to be forgiven by God himself. And the only way to be forgiven is through trusting in the finished work of Jesus the Christ, our Lord, our Savior. Lord, I pray if there's one in this room that has never genuinely done that, never turned from themselves and trying to do everything good and cross all the T's, dot the I's, trying to live a life, and they're just tired of it, they're tired of trying, and they see their failures. Lord, I pray that they'll come by faith to you. They'll just trust in your finished work. And they'll let the law that convicts them, let it be what leads them to Jesus. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.